All right, as we do sometimes, I'd like to ask for a volunteer to read the scripture for this morning. It's 30 verses. Not that long. They're short verses. Don't be scared. But it's John chapter 13, verses 1 through 30. It gives the description of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And um, so if someone would read it nice and loudly for us to kick things off, I would love to have a volunteer. I'll do it. All right, Hal. Thank you. That'd be great. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Peter replied, Just wash my feet, put my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put it on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, but that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Want me to go to 30? Please, yes. Jesus predicts his betrayal. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this... But this is to my fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his head, his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone, I am accepting me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at the loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back Jesus, against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dropped it in the dish. 
Then dropping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him, since Judas had cha had charged had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Thank you. Thank you. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, that last phrase is more than just descriptive of time. It's kind of like the night of all nights, the nightest of all nights. Right? This is the Good Friday. This is where Jesus is about to be crucified. And if ever there was a dark time, if ever darkness descended over the earth where the, that absence of the light of the world um, occurred, it, it was this night. And so I think it is beautiful that John puts that in there. It was night. It's an understatement by far of all the ways that it was night right in this moment. So having heard this, having read it maybe for the millionth time, maybe heard it for the first time, what do you see? What do you observe? What stood out to you in hearing or reading? What jumped off the page? What was a question? What did you learn? Jesus was all-knowing. Yeah, he's predicting and, yeah, he knew. Perfect. What else? What stands out? He was a humble servant. Yep, yep, absolutely. What else? Yeah, Roz, then Sally. Oh, Sally. <laughs> I think we might have the same comment. <laughs> I, just, um, I just contemplate him washing Jews' feet. Right. It's washing everybody's feet anyway, but... You know, that's the most humble thing anybody could possibly do. And I search my heart and I think, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Could we? Would we? I don't know. He did. He did. Andy. Uh, self-examination. Yes, absolutely. We see that in Peter. And Jesus even says, do you understand what I have done for you? Like, I know you don't really get what's happening here, but you get some of it, but like, think about it. Yeah. Anything else stand out? I was just going to say, I feel like, as always, Peter always like makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, just, I love Peter. And yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of just along the same lines of what Andrew's saying, like, ah, he's just like, I mean, Jesus is like right there. So like, mm -hmm. makes me sometimes feel better when I'm like, ah, struggling a little bit, like, he's right there, and he's still mm -hmm. just, like, not getting it, and just really genuinely being himself, and mm -hmm. uh, I also just love the part, and I always have just the very truly, I tell you, I love it, and he could, like, stretch it that, I'm like, ah, oh, like, really listen, uh, mm -hmm. that just the newest servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I just think that's just, like, a wonderful in just every aspect of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice the beatitude that's tied into that one in verse 17? 
one of the commentaries that I was reading this week pointed that out to me. In John, he only has two beatitudes in the entire uh, book. Matthew obviously has a list of them that Jesus said, blessed are these, blessed are those. In verse 17, John has one of his two. Um, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing and the doing. It's a beatitude. This is what it means to be blessed. what it feels like. This is what will lead to blessing. This is happy. This is good. Blessed. The second one is where... Um, a doubting Thomas comes to Jesus and says, I have to put my hands in your side and, your, and, your, and my, my fingers in your hands inside to believe. And he said, blessed are you because you saw and believed, but blessed are those who believe even without seeing. And that kind of ties in with what you're saying. We don't get to see Jesus today the way they did in that moment. He can appear to us. He speaks to us. He's alive. He's within us. But that experience was blessed for them, but even more blessed for us. If we can come to that same place of faith without having seen him face-to-face -face the way they did, but experienced him. Um, so those are the two Beatitudes in John. I, I appreciated learning that this week. Maybe one or two more. Anything else stand out that we could share? Roz? We talked about this last week, but the, um, just as much as I know of God, uh, Lord, I'm just reminded the other disciples as to what they had Judas. Still, just every time I read it, it amazes me that um, they didn't all jump on Judas when Jesus actually yeah. says, He who I give this piece of bread to after I drop it in the ditch, mm -hmm. he is the one that's going to betray me. And then he gives it to Judas, and Peter has just asked, Hey, ask him who it is. So, yeah, it does. And then he says, And they don't just go like, oh, get him. stop him, get him. Like, right. not let him do it. Right. But then they all think, oh, well, okay, he has the money bag and he's probably going to get provisions or right. something else. And, um, but because it is his destiny that he has to get through this, God blinds them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's whispering, too. This is one of those things you can get a better picture of in your mind's eye if you think about how they ate back in that day. They'd be kind of like a semicircular table, and everybody would be leaning on the floor on a pillow on their left side and then eating with their right hand. So you're kind of stacked up like dominoes around with just sort of your head and your hand towards the table and your feet away from the table. So it describes when John leans back against Jesus' breast to whisper, he was clearly the person on Jesus' right side. So he could talk to him in a way where no one else would hear him, but Peter wasn't there. So Peter like passes the message. So most likely Peter was two down on the right and he leans into John. Hey, hey, ask Jesus who he's talking. And John leans into Jesus and Jesus whispers to him. But it says that Judas was on the left and that was the primary place of honor. Judas had the best seat in the house for the last supper. Jesus was honoring him, elevating him. Did that mean that to the very end, Jesus was trying to love him so that if there was any chance that he might not go through with it, might not sin his way, he'd be won over? Was Jesus loving to the end? That phrase is used in the beginning of this chapter. Was Jesus knowing that this was his day to play his role so that the better, so he's being honored for his betrayal before it even happened? It just thinking about where they sat speaks to how this conversation happened. Who could have heard? Who didn't? And it's because they ate in this very specific sort of way around the table. Intentional. Jesus, you sit here. You recline here. I'm here. Judas, you right here. Place of honor. Jesus gave Judas the place of honor. All right, well, let me throw some thoughts to you. How? Yes, and then we'll dig in. Sorry, there's two things that come to mind. Please. 
One is Jesus is telling everybody to love one another. Mm. And that regardless of what's happened. And the other thing that I don't think that you you realize that in ancient times at the Seder, mm. when you're reclining, reclining mm. means that you're a free person. Because otherwise, slaves and servants would have stood. Mm. So reclining means that you're free at the time. Mm. Perfect. I said, if you're at the ancient times, if you're at the Seder cool. and you're reclining, it means you're a free person. Otherwise, if you were a slave or a servant, you would have been standing. A free person would be reclining. And they're talking about reclining at the meal. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. I was not aware of that piece. That does, adds even more to it. This is the beauty of the Bible. It has these details. And like when you know more about the culture, you learn something like, oh, this is so real. This is real life in a real time, in a real place. This is not a story. This is history. And that's what we have here. We have Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Recognize that this whole element, uh, this whole moment in Jesus' life is all about forgiveness. The washing of the feet is not about feet. Do this as I have done for you. Wash each other's feet. Well, then why hasn't the Christian church just made foot washing the most important ceremony second to communion? Why don't we have any other example in the New Testament of people washing feet? It wasn't about the feet. And that's why Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? Because it isn't just do this literal thing. It's I've acted in a very specific way. This is a very specific attitude and approach that I've taken to to serve you. Do you understand what that means? So Jesus isn't just asking for foot washing ceremonies to become a weekly occurrence. He's asking for a humble servant attitude at all costs, even to people who will betray you and hate you to be done every single day, an attitude of the heart and of the mind. So this is all about forgiveness. The three main people that you'll notice are Peter, Jesus, and Judas, right? And so with Jesus, you have this person, this, this high and mighty king who's washing the feet of the beggars, if you could say it that way. You have Peter who wants to do the right thing but really doesn't know how, and so he's just kind of bumbling through it. And you have Judas. Judas is mentioned more than almost anyone other than Jesus, in this, uh, washing the disciples' feet has a lot to do with Judas, has a lot to do with forgiveness. If you think about it, this was the private moment of forgiveness that Jesus gave to his closest people immediately before he stepped into the public moment of forgiveness for the entire world. This is not a crowd scenario. This is not the Pharisees and the scribes. Many times we see like a, a, a very mixed crowd around. This is not it. This is his closest people in an upper room all alone. And so for that reason, the things that I've tried to dig out of this to say, what are some elements that we can learn from this have to do with how we treat our immediate families and the church of Christ, the family of God. Because I think those are the things that will be a one-to-one -one relationship because that's what Jesus, he's showing us how he loved his own. Isn't that what it says at the very beginning? Now Jesus, um, knowing he's about to depart out of the world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. So this is how you love the people that God's given us to love. This is how you love in close relationships. This is intimacy. This is vulnerability. This is honesty with Jesus, knowing what's about to happen. He still goes through with this. Um, yeah. And in 20, verse 20, the last thing we'll say before I, I kind of throw some thoughts to us to, to, to solidify some of these things uh, is just Jesus doesn't leave it at the act of service. He takes it all the way to gospel. 
I've done this that you may do this because I'm about to depart out of the world. And he who sent me is calling me to do this to you and you should do as I do. Whoever receives me receives the one who sends me. So I kind of feel like it was perfect. I love God's timing in everything um, to have Don with us here because the way it stood out to me to think of serving this week is that it's, it's a, an entryway, a doorway into so many things. It itself isn't necessarily the thing. You could literally wash everyone's feet here and not have it be a spiritual thing. We could give all our money to the poor, but if we have not love, you know, like those sorts of things. So it isn't just about the serving, and I want us to really pay attention to this. What do the words say out on a sign now we've had for a couple of months up there? Do we know them? To love is to serve. Those can't be just words for us. And can't be like, to serve is to serve. Or to serve is to love. Because if it stops at serve, it doesn't necessarily go to save. Jesus said, I've come to serve and save those who are lost. And so for us, it has to be serve in order to save. And Jesus does that here. He doesn't just serve and say, be nice to people. And if someone has a need, meet it. He's saying, look what I've done and look what it means. Look what it means about God and you. And so here are the, the seven things that I felt like, oh, these are beautiful secrets to how to serve in a way that can imitate Christ in our own lives. We call ourselves a, a church trying to be on mission. This is our example. We're all apprentices under Jesus. We better learn how we did it and why he did it so we can implement it ourselves. But the first thought that we, I thought of that we see here is serving is a doorway into these things. It's not a doormat. When we think of being a servant, you start thinking, well, I'll do anything for anybody. It doesn't matter. Oh, I pour myself out to the point of my own resentment and bitterness and, you know, cost to my own family and myself and what was me. But, you know, Jesus lived this way and serving is not that way. Does Jesus seem weak to you in this moment? He's looking in the eyes of the man who's going to betray him. And with love, he's saying, this is bigger than you. Do what you have to do. Do it quickly. Go now. Betray me right now. Go. That's not a weak-willed man who's just like caught up in circumstances or beyond his control and Jesus, be nice to the very end. No. No. Serving is an act of strength. Serving is not just being walked all over. And so sometimes we can err in either way. And probably either, every one of us in here will err one way or another. We'll be too willing, too gracious, do things we even shouldn't because we think that we're helping. And there's others that are like, people got to figure it out on their own. And you do less than you should at the times when you should. And Jesus always knows the right sweet spot of what to do and what not to do. But it's intentional. He didn't accidentally wash their feet. He didn't accidentally do something that helped them out. We should make choices about when we're going to serve and where we're going to serve. And in those choices, we're, we're honoring God. We're, this is an obedience moment for Jesus, right? I will do this because it's been written. I will do this because this has got to happen. So when we serve, is it a doorway to something more? Or is it just, well, I made a meal. I did a thing. That's not the thing. That's the thing before the thing. Serving is a door that opens to something greater. Think about the doorway into forgiveness that this moment of serving was. It was a doorway into forgiveness, explaining forgiveness. Peter's like, well, I want to be clean. He's like, we already did that baptism thing, remember? Your whole body's been washed. Your soul is clean. You're good. But guess what? Today you sinned again. Guess what? Tomorrow you're going to sin again. Every day we wash our hands, wash our feet clean from kind of like the dust of our travels. We've already been washed clean in our soul. 
And so Jesus is explaining how forgiveness works. He's offering forgiveness to Judas, who doesn't want anything to do with it, who rejects it and still walks away. This was a doorway to understanding forgiveness. It's a doorway to seeing motives. Sometimes when we go to serve someone, we realize, I don't think I can do this with a good attitude. Why does this person make the same mistake again? i got to pick up after them again. Like, we're not serving out of the right heart. And that's good for us to see. It's God saying, check your attitude, because it's not just about the feet. It's about why you're doing it, and when, and how. Is it God's way? Or is it us just doing whatever we think we should? But also when you serve others, sometimes it highlights their emotions. So when Jesus served, most of the disciples, I think they just willingly accepted and loved it. It was a beautiful thing, right? We don't hear any other responses. So they're just like, thank you, Jesus. And sometimes when you serve people, they'll be like, thank you, Jesus. It's just a beautiful moment. Sometimes when we'll serve people, we'll get a Peter response. No, 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 I couldn't take that from you. And it's the pride in us, not wanting to be served. I can take care of myself. No, it's not a big deal. Don't help. I got this. Refusing someone who's trying to show love. So that's what Peter did. And we can feel good about ourselves because we do that too. But Jesus, Jesus pushes past that. He's like, no, you have to let me serve you. You can't be proud about this. Take my help. And so sometimes we see that in others. We can love each other through those proud moments where someone doesn't want to accept our help. And sometimes our best efforts are repaid with the worst responses. And that's Judas. We go to help someone and that person just returns it with the worst possible attitude, turns around and says the meanest thing, turns around and takes advantage of our goodwill. All sorts of things can happen. Jesus served anyway. Are we willing to take a hit? Even if we know that that was coming, it shows motives, right? So we just learn about ourselves. Serving shows us ourselves and shows us the people around us a chance for us to grow. The second secret uh, that I think is really important to catch here is that serving is not silent. Serving is not silent. There's that great quote, I think it's by St. Thomas Aquinas, um, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. That's cool because we can live it out, but it's also incomplete. It's not a complete thought. Because Romans 10 says, how can they believe unless they've heard? And how can anyone hear unless someone says something? And how can someone say something unless they're sent? And how can they be sent unless they're called? So blessed are the feet of those who bear the good news. We have to speak up. We have to do this loving. Blessed are you if you do it. We need to serve, but it has to be accompanied with words. It has to have that next level value versus just here is something. We've delivered some wonderful peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I look over at Andy and Corey because the youth group did this most recently. And I know as a church during the pandemic, we were making lots of bag lunches and delivering them. It was one of the most beautiful outpourings of love that I've seen in a long time. People wouldn't even know we'd drop off bag lunches here and we'd deliver them. It was beautiful. To write on that bag, Jesus loves you. To hand it out and say, God loves you. That's the word that can accompany the deed. And together, then you've got this power-packed moment, an actual help, not just someone who's saying, oh, go be well and well-fed, but, but also not just, here's food. Food's the point. We can eat a great meal today and die tomorrow. Food's not the point. Food's a symbol of something to come. And if we're washing the feet, it's not that their feet were clean. Guess what? They're going to get up immediately walk out into the garden, get into a tussle with the guards. Their feet are going to be dirty. Then they're going to be walking through the courtyards, going to Golgotha. That's happening in hours from this moment. 
So it's not permanent. It's not meant to be, but it's meant to be a symbol. And so don't let our serving be silent. If you love them, tell them it's because God loves them. If you serve someone, say it's because Jesus loves you. If you serve someone, they say, why, why are you doing this? On Sir Home for our week of outreach, let's not just be carpenters. Let's not just be garden workers. So we believe in a God that restores things. And we've had moments where God's restored us. So if we can restore a porch or a deck or a backyard or a community garden, awesome. That fits. And our words will make that connection where just our actions can get attributed to being a good person. Our words and our actions can just get attributed to feeling guilty. A lot of people do good things out of guilty feelings. Oh, I feel so guilty. I should have done. And then they do something like, that's not for God. A willing, serving choice is for God. So serving is not silent. Uh, serving builds humility. That's the third one. Builds humility in us. It's not fun to wash feet. It's not fun to clean toilets. It's not fun to rake. Maybe some people think some of these things are fun. I don't know. There's some strange people around. But usually serving is just a chore. But you know why you're doing it. And it's an act of love. So it teaches us humility. But like Peter, in his case, when you try to serve someone, sometimes their pride gets in the way. So receiving that help is a lesson in humility for the receiver as well. So humility gets taught both ways. Um, the fourth secret that we can learn from this is that serving meets practical needs. Serving isn't theoretical. Serving is a sandwich. Serving isn't just a philosophy of life. It's like a raked yard. Right? Serving isn't just a word well spoken. Serving is helping that child with their homework for a couple of hours because they just can't get it. It's the doing of something. So in each of those cases, someone got fed. There's the sandwich. A yard got cleaned. That was a need. Maybe an elderly person who couldn't even pull a rake anymore but used to have this wonderful garden. All of a sudden, it's wonderful again. They remember what it used to look like, enjoy it, appreciate it, and they say, God does this for us. And oh, by the way, there are streets with gold and beautiful gardens in heaven where we're all going. <clears throat> so if you're later in years, as for all of us, this is good to keep in mind and to be ready for. Right? What is that serving? It meets a practical need. Let's not be, it's the old phrase, let's not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. You get that? Some people can be so heavenly minded that no earthly good. Got our head in the clouds, we're talking our theology and don't do a thing to actually help somebody. Be both. Be both. Serving and speaking. It's a doorway. Just a few more to think about as I encourage and challenge us to go on our way as servants this week. Serving manifests our spiritual gifts. Serving is not just feet. It's not just carpentry. Serving is meals made. Serving is teaching given. Serving is a spare room or a couch lent out to someone who needs a place to stay. Serving is a generous gift. Uh, what are all the gifts? We talked about the gifts at our little men's breakfast time. What did we come up with? Uh, generosity, hospitality, healing. Healing is serving. Pray over someone, now they're well. Um, miracles, uh, teaching, administration, evangelism. All these things are things that are in us. So use the tools that God's given you. We don't all have to do home repair. We don't all have to be pastors or teachers. We don't all have to be anything. We're all a body. So what has God given you to serve with? Just do that. And you'll find so much joy in it. Because it's what God has made you to do. So we manifest these spiritual gifts when we serve. If we just talk about spiritual gifts, and we have 15 classes on spiritual gifts, we don't actually help anybody, then we don't realize what we're like and who we can be in the world to represent Christ. This is how it's done. It's through serving with our gifts. 
All right, the last two. Serving creates family. When you serve alongside someone, it makes you family. When you paint a house together, you become family. When you help someone move and pack boxes, you become family. When you go on a, uh, a missions trip, a serve home thing, you become family. Uh, for the, those people every Sunday morning that come and like, help set up here at the church, and whether it's communion or signs out front, or all those things like the bonding together, hey, how you doing? We're, we become one. Unity comes through serving. It's a very, very unifying thing. And so we see that in this instance. The group comes together, except the one who rejects. The group comes together, bond. Unity comes from serving. We serve together, we grow together. I've only had one experience that I can remember with doing an actual foot washing ceremony. It was back when I, it was either high school or college. Um, I was a camp counselor up at Brookwoods in New Hampshire for a summer. And my co-counselor and I at the end of the time, whether it was a week or a two week, I forget which period, um, decided we wanted to do a foot washing ceremony with these 13 year old boys that we had in our cabin. And it was kind of a rough group. A lot of them just came from dysfunctional homes and um, our particular group was a very hard group. And so we, we went into this kind of boathouse area after the closing ceremony on the final evening, and it was all dark, and we all sat around. And my co-counselor and I just went one by one around and said, this is what we're going to do. We read the scripture. And at first, everybody just has this like nervous, awkward laughter. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> like, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of murmuring, a lot of uncomfortability. Um, but it was the strangest thing that as we went around the circle and washed one kid's feet and then someone would dry it and he and I would just take turns and move around. As soon as one child, one boy's feet were washed, he would just go quiet. It's just like, he's like struck with the moment. And so the chatter, 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 just got less and less and less. And we got to the last person and was dead silent in that boathouse. It was quiet with like one candle or one little light lit. And we just said it was just utter silence. There was something so just like striking about that moment. It was a bonding moment. It was a unifying moment. It was like a be still kind of moment. And that's what serving has the ability to do. It can just like strike us speechless. And we love that way. Now we're imitating Christ. And that's the seventh point that we can make. And there's so much more. Scripture goes at length into Christ being a servant. You know, Philippians 2, we should imitate Christ who set aside all his glory to serve. Uh, the last one is just serving as Christ-like. It's what our Savior did, and he said to be like him. So it's not optional. Each of you have permission, granted by God, to do it uniquely and to do it differently. But you don't have permission to not serve. You don't. And it doesn't matter what the response is going to be. Some people are going to love it and love you for it. Some people are going to take advantage of it. Some people are going to reject it. That's not the point. Jesus didn't make his decision on the cross based on what people's responses were going to be. He did it because he was obedient to God. He knew that that love would win some people over. It was worth it. And so in his strength, he served. In his strength, he humbled himself. So serving is a doorway. You're not being a doormat if you're doing it like Christ. Serving is not silent. Serving builds humility in us and others. Serving meets practical needs. This is what James says, true religion. Meeting needs, not just talking about meeting needs. You know, faith and works together is our religion. Uh, serving manifests our spiritual gifts. Serving creates family. And serving is Christ-like. And so what I want you to do now is to just take a moment. If you've got pen and paper, you want to write it down. If you just want to take a moment and think, think of the people you need to serve. 
there's someone in your life who the serving should be a vehicle to reconciliation or forgiveness because things aren't good. There's some people in your life that have extended themselves for you and you need to serve and reciprocate. There's some people that you're feeling distant from and service can be a way to build family. I think that there are some people in each of our lives that we need to say, I need to serve them and with the powerful, effective service of Christ, not just to help someone do a thing, but because that's the way God's going to get some glory in that relationship. So would each of us just take a minute and think of a name, think of two names, these people that are in our lives, and specifically, how could I serve in such a way that God would get glory? Think of a very specific, very tangible thing and promise yourself that you'll do it. This is on you. It's on me. We need to do this. We can talk about it. If we talk about it but don't do it, we will not be blessed. Blessed are you if you do serve this way. So think about today. Think about a phone call. Think about a card. Think about a meal made. Think about a, a room cleaned, a backyard raked. Think about a project helped with. Think about time spent with someone in a nursing home who can't get out. Think about children cared for, maybe given a break to young parents who need time out. Think of how your serving can show God's love and promise yourself that you'll do it. Make a pledge that you will be Christ-like in that way. And then, actually, we will be blessed in the doing.